So we are uh, wrapping up a conversation we've been having. We've been talking about who Christmas is for. And uh, we've seen Christmas is, uh, you know, we, we can say, we can see Christmas cards. Uh, we might know the right answer, Christmas is for everyone. But but we've seen that it's really for some kind of surprising people. What we've seen over the course of this conversation is that Christmas is for people like um, Tamar and, and Judah, who had skeletons in the closet, things that maybe they weren't proud of, uh, the things that had been done to them, things that they did that they weren't proud of, maybe they were even ashamed of, but they didn't talk about, that, that they had skeletons in the closet. And what we've seen is that Christmas is for people who have a past that they don't like to dwell on. But we've also seen that Christmas is for people who are concerned about their future, people like Rahab, who looked at the way things were playing out, and she said, I don't like where this is headed. I, I think that I need to trade up. I need to get a different kind of arrangement, a different kind of relationship with God. So Christmas is for people who don't like the past, but also people who don't like the future. And then last week we saw Christmas is for people like Ruth, people who don't have any relationship with God, people whose only connection to God is that they know someone who knows God, people who are not insiders, people who are outsiders, Christmas is for them too. But as we look at them, as we think about these people and we say, so what do they have in common? Uh, past, future, inside, outside, what do they have in common? What they've got in common is that every one of them has had their world turned upside down. If you think about Tamar, she was widowed not once but twice. And the scriptures don't flinch. They tell us flatly, God killed their husbands because they were wicked. They've had their world turned upside down by God. In Ruth's case, she was also a widow. And the scriptures tell us very clearly that God is in charge of famines. She's had her world turned upside down. We read about Rahab. She narrowly escaped a bloody battle that killed everyone in her city. She and her family were the only ones who escaped that carnage. Her world has turned upside down. And what all of these situations have in common is God didn't ask anybody. God didn't say, here's what I'm thinking about. What do you, what do you say? You know, it's going to cause some, some shifts, some, some kind of upsets. You're going to have to make some adjustments. God has a plan. We have plans too, but when it comes down to it, God's plan is the one that's going to prevail. Every one of these people has had their lives turned upside down. Years ago when I was living in New Jersey, I was working for a company and, uh, the company had um, an opportunity, and they they bought another company. They they merged with this other company that was a direct competitor of my business unit. And so the word came down from way up on high, uh, telling people that uh, we didn't know what was going to happen. There's going to be some some kind of adjustments. We're going to try and figure out uh, which divisions and so forth are going to stay and which ones are going to go, uh, whether they're going to take this one or that one, they're going to mix and match and kind of try and make something good. But what you really ought to do right now is look around the rest of the company and see if there's something outside this business unit where you can work. Because there may be a job for you there, but there may not be a job for you here. So, you know, we did that. Margo and I, uh, we, we found out that there was an opportunity for us in Indianapolis, and so we moved. And um, uh, that was a good thing, it turned out. Uh, uh, I could see now, in hindsight, as is so often the case, I can see now that was a very good thing because God used that to to 
draw me to faith. I was not a believer when I was in New Jersey. And in the course of the next couple of years, I was uh, uh, brought to, I was led to a church in Indianapolis. I got to know the pastor. I got some questions answered. I started to build a faith. And ultimately, I came to a place where I could become uh, a Christian. And, and that was something I can see now that God was using that situation. But at the time, I wasn't happy with it. I wasn't happy about anything. I mean, I was happy to leave New Jersey. I mean, that's a that's an upgrade, right? I mean, in in every way except for the weather, uh, uh, Indianapolis is better than New Jersey. But but apart from that, I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy with the way that that this company I was working for, kind of building a reputation, trying to trying to make my way in, had suddenly said, you know what? We actually think we we like what you're doing so much. We're going to get some other people to do it for us. So um, so I didn't like that. But God didn't ask me his plans. He didn't say, what do you think about this? God turned my world upside down. And my guess is most of you can relate. Maybe for you, it was just like me. It was your job. There was a, a, a pin got pushed somewhere, or maybe, maybe a much smaller thing. Uh, one of your, one of your customers came to you and said, you know, we're going to go with somebody else now. Um, you can relate maybe because your world has been turned upside down. You were expecting this thing in the area of your work and that plan changed, or it got changed for you. Maybe for you, it wasn't your work. Maybe for you, it was that you were expecting um, something to happen at school. Maybe it was uh, something else. Maybe it was you were expecting better news from the doctor. Maybe you went to the doctor, and before you knew it, you were having a conversation about five-year survival rates. You weren't expecting that. But God didn't consult you about his plans. Maybe for you, it was a phone call or a Skype message saying, there's been an accident and it's not looking good. God turned your world upside down without even asking you whether you thought it'd be a good idea. Maybe it's the financial situation. Maybe your 401k looked good in 2008. And it doesn't look bad now, but those seven years are lost years. And you're seven years older, seven years closer to retirement. And you're thinking, how come that happened? My financial world got turned upside down, and I'm just now beginning to right the ship. If you've been in that situation, if you've been in the situation where your world got turned upside down, and God didn't ask you if you thought this would be a good plan, then maybe you can relate to the people in our scripture today because they are the world's all-time champions. In the history of people, no one has ever had their world turned upside down like Joseph and Mary. So we read their stories. You know, it's a familiar story, but if we can just just take a moment and put ourselves in their places, just just try to picture what it must have been like to be Joseph or Mary. Joseph, what do we know about Joseph? Not much. The scriptures don't tell us much, but we know he was a man and he was a carpenter, or or the, the the word in the Bible is he's a tectone. He's somebody who makes things with his hands, sometimes stones, sometimes wood. He worked construction is what we'd say today. Joseph is is a guy, and he's got plans. He's going to get married. He's he's betrothed. That That's kind of like an engagement, but more so. Uh, there's probably been money changed hands. There's a dowry or something like that. It's a formal process. And now he finds out, before they've ever lived together, he finds out that Mary is pregnant. His world is turned upside down. And when she says, well, it's not, it's not me. You know, I didn't do anything. 
He's thinking, well, what do I do? And he's trying to figure out, I can end this. I can divorce her, but then she'll be disgraced. What can I do? How can I get out of this situation? And he has a dream. And in the dream, an angel tells him, don't be afraid to take Mary as his wife. And she'll have a son, and the son will be Jesus. You're to name him Jesus because he'll save his people from their sin. And what we read about Joseph is he does that. And maybe that's the first lesson is that, you know, when, when life hands you a lemonade or, or worship when God hands you lemonade is to roll with the punches, to, to obey. I mean, that's what he does. He wakes up in the morning and he does as the angel commanded. And maybe that's, that's the first lesson, but it's not very palatable. I mean, no one wants to, to drink a lot of lemonade. So, so, um, the problem with Joseph is we don't understand where he's coming from. Joseph is, you know, kind of a Gary Cooper, uh, uh, a Clint Eastwood kind of character. We don't know what's going on inside his head. Uh, we just know he obeys. But Mary, we learn a whole lot more about. So we look at the story of Mary and we read that in the sixth month, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Gabriel is sent to Mary. And he goes to a town called Podunk in a region called Flyover Country to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he comes to her and says, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And he's about to lower the boom, so he says, Greetings, favored one. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this must be. Uh, this is this is one of those places where uh, translators scramble to find the right word. Uh, the word for much much perplexed in the Bible it only appears one place. It, it only appears here in the Bible, and uh, they don't know exactly what it means. It's it's like this other word that means afraid. Uh, when 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 Jesus' disciples see him walking across the water and they think he's a ghost, they're afraid. That's the regular word for afraid. When Herod finds out there's going to be another baby and he. He's terrified that his throne is in jeopardy. He's just regular afraid. Mary is much afraid. And so, so we don't know exactly what all the connotations of this word are, but they're, they're like that other word that means afraid and then some. So Mary is much afraid. So sometimes translators have said much perplexed. They've said deeply troubled, thoroughly shaken, confused and disturbed. Picture it. There's an angel at the foot of the bed telling her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. She is much perplexed. And she wonders what sort of greeting this is. And he says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. And Mary says, Um, Excuse me, sir. Just one question. You do know where babies come from. And the angel says, why, yes. Yes, I do. And so does God. And God's got that covered. And then Mary says, essentially what what Joseph says, uh, what Joseph does, she says, let it be for me according to your word. She says, she says, let it be for me according to your word. And so again, we get this idea of obedience. When God has got a plan, uh, the smart thing to do is to get on board because you're not going to succeed if you, if you fight it. But Mary does something else. Before she says, okay, let it be according to your word. She says something else. She says, I am the Lord's servant. 
Now, I think the way most of us read that is we just hear it as an echo of the other part. I'm the Lord's servant. He's the boss. He tells me what to do, and I do it. Sometimes I grumble. Sometimes I don't. But I'm the Lord's servant, and whatever. Right? We may hear it that way, but I don't think that's the way it's supposed to be heard. I think what she's saying is, I'm the Lord's servant. If you go back to the beginning of the chapter, this same angel, Gabriel, he shows up at the temple when when a man named Zechariah is performing his priestly role. And he says, you know, you're going to have a baby. We heard the kids tell us about this, Zechariah. Um, you're going to have a, a baby too. And Zechariah says, why should I trust you? And Gabriel, however terrifying he was to begin with, you can just imagine him swelling up and going, you know, nostrils flaring or whatever. Gabriel says, do you know who I work for? He says, he says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord and you're asking me how you can trust me? He says, all right, you just, that's the last question you'll ask for a while. So he gives he gives Zechariah six months of solit uh, nine months of solitary uh, uh, confinement, so to speak. He can't talk for the next nine months. Um, Zechariah didn't know who Gabriel worked for, and Gabriel invites. He calls forth the answer to the question that Mary asks. Mary, do you know who you work for? He said, Mary, you are in the same league as Jacob. The, 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 the whole race of the tribe of Jacob. You're, you're part of that family. God is related to you like he was to Jacob. Mary, you have a relationship with the God who made King David, King David. Mary, do you know who you work for? And Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. I'm the servant of the Lord of the great kings of my people. And regular people like my cousin Elizabeth, who I know has had to endure the embarrassment of not having a child all these years. She says, I know who I serve. I am the servant of the Lord. And that must have sustained her. We read, you know, very little else about Mary. She appears a couple of more times throughout the scriptures. But we can imagine what it, what it was like and how it's, how that knowledge sustained her. When, when she heard people start to giggle when she came, you know, that's Mary, you know, you know about her. Or the rumors got back to her, what they were saying about her at the well. She could say to herself, I know who I serve. I know the one whom I serve. So she said, I am the Lord's servant. But see, we know more than, more than Mary. We know even more than Mary. Because all she had was the history of her people. The relationship she had with Elizabeth. We know more. The Apostle Paul reminds us of the baby that Mary had. And he says, he says, if God gave us Jesus, if God did not withhold his son from us, would he not also give us every other thing? That's the question that Paul asks. And so he says, the world's full of things that are going to upset us. Uh, Paul asks the question in Romans. He says, he says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Will the phone call telling us about the accident? Will the doctor talking about mortality rates? 
with a letter from our 401k, will these things separate us from the love of God? He says, no, no, not at all. He says, if God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not also with him also give us everything else? He says, do you know who you work for? It is a God who does great things in history and who has incorporated you into it, but a God who loves you, who loves you so much, he gave his son for you. Will he not take care of you when there's peril or sword or financial crisis or health crisis? Of course he will. Do you know who you work for? This world, you're going to have setbacks. But if you know who you work for, if you know you are a servant of the Most High, you will get through them. Thanks be to God. Amen.